Hello, everyone. My name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. Episodes drop every other Monday where we discuss the biggest Joshi news, review shows, and preview the hottest upcoming Joshi action. So whether you're a new fan or an old fan, we've got something here for you at Jumping Bomb Audio. Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. episode number 246 a thing i definitely knew before i started recording because what kind of podcast host would that make me if i didn't know that uh i'm very pleased to be back here and i told you i told you guys you'd hear from us a little more often this year than you did uh the last couple years so our last episode was back on january 4th uh 2024 a much different time uh, for many different people we still had hope that Kazuchika Okada might not leave us. Uh, I was still in Japan, a much superior country to the one I am currently residing in, of course. And I, I currently reside in the, the country I'm born and raised in, unfortunately. Uh, and I don't know, what else was different two months ago? Oh, the Rangers sucked at the time. That's gotten a lot better. They they had a way better month in February, so at least something went right. But, but yes, it is uh, two months later, and we're back with another episode. And joining me now is... A, another host of the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network, who I recently recorded an episode of his podcast with. Why am I acting like this is a mystery? It's in the title, probably. <laughs> it is Joel from the Super J Cast. Hello, Joel. Yeah, the first intro was better. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, John. It's good to talk to you. Um, are you just going to be doing an Omakase every time that Naito wins a title match? Why? What? He? I guess. What? What title? Oh, yeah, he beat Sonata. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess that's an idea. Uh, this episode was your idea, though, so you can't. I don't it know. Was. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'll be doing an episode every time somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, let's do an episode." If somebody would do that all the time, like, do you know the by far the most annoying part of Omakase by the M is trying to find fucking guests every week? Like that was by far the most. And even when I went to every other week, it was like I spent so much time being like, "Hey." Do you want to come on? Do you want to come on? And it's not like I couldn't find people, 
but it just gets to be such a pain in the ass having to be like, all right, what am I doing this week? Who's going to be on this week? Who's going to be on that week? So it's like, uh, if you, if you, the listener, are thinking of starting a regular podcast with a rotating guest co-host format, I would recommend not doing that because it gets very annoying by like episode 200. Like by episode 200, you're like, I've had enough of trying to find guests. Like, I don't know how the Saturday Night Live people do this or whatever the fuck. But, uh, you know, booking guests for every week is really difficult. They might have a leg up on me over there, but, you know. Yeah. Would so you say that was like one, one of the biggest contributing factors to you stopping recording as regularly as you were and um, knocking it on the head as far as the Patreon goes and everything? It was a minor contributing factor, I would say. Yeah, the biggest factor was just that I was like barely watching wrestling in 2021. Yeah, so <laughs> that was the big, like I did not want to watch, actively did not want to watch it anymore. Um, and then the next biggest factor was having the Patreon, which just felt like work, which is like, you know, it's cool. I mean, I was making money. It's not like I wasn't making money. I had, I had more patrons than uh, a lot of fucking people who I see I've kept their Patreon around for quite a long time. There's sometimes where I open up Patreon and I'm looking at these these peop- these uh, different patrons and shit, and I'm just like, how do you have like 30 patrons? You've been around for like three or four fucking years. I'm like, this was really worth the money to you to have when you have your 30 patrons. It's just so bizarre. But uh, I know I know uh, what's his name, Hosman, the CM Punk buddy. I know he put his Patreon on pause because he only had like 20 or something. So I think, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's harder than it looks, I guess, to to run a successful Patreon. And even when you're making like a what I would call a not insignificant amount of money, like it was, you know, it's not like I was fucking rich or anything, but I was making like a decent little, you know, additional amount of money at my peak. And it's just, but it's just like I'm working so fucking hard for it. I'm like Jesus Christ, I'm putting more work into this than in my actual job, which is not that hard to do because my actual job is very easy. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. The Patreon just became a lot. So I was just like, yeah, I don't, if I wanted to work for a living, I would work for a living. So I didn't, didn't really want to have a second job, but yes. yeah. I know. Um, you, I mean, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you guys have thought about having a Patreon before too. Right. And just like, it's so much work. Yeah. Uh, the current business model is just grifting people for pastrami in our discord server. So that's relatively low effort. So that's as much as I'll do to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, like two, hours of audio per week with, with your guest appearance and bonus thing here and there that's fine by me yeah i mean that's really like once you're doing like all this extra audio it just it really starts to feel like work so you know i know the like if i had the number of patrons that like the flagship had you know then it'd be like okay well i get it because they're making like they're making like actual money but like when i just you know when i i peaked i think it like Oh, excuse me. I think I peaked to like 80 patrons or something, which is not like, not, again, far more successful than a lot of other wrestling Patreons I've seen. But like, you know, it, it after a while, it's like, is this extra like $500 or whatever really worth it a month? And just, it, I don't know. It just kind of started to feel like I was working harder for that than my actual job. So, but anyway, uh, so those are the big factors. Just it was a lot of work, and you know. And then after that, once you shut down the Patreon too, you start to feel like, well, now I'm just giving it away. Like I'm not even making any money doing this. Like what am I doing? But uh, so that's why I don't have a weekly podcast anymore, I guess. But I still have a, I don't know, 
a whenever the fuck podcast as you're all listening to right now and we're back here to discuss mostly new japan pro wrestling again um i don't know why i said mostly entirely i think but the big topic here is you know what does new japan look like post okada and osprey exodus i think that's like the topic right now because i feel like a lot of people um you know there's a lot of strong opinions on this whether like new japan is fine don't worry about it they got a lot of young talent and on the other hand you have the other opinion of like new japan is dying this promotion is going to be dead in a few years um you know they can't survive losing this level of talent and with all their other problems and like the two new beginning shows uh, the new beginning in sapro shows that happened what about a week and a half ago at this point um i feel like they almost were perfectly designed to validate both those opinions if you know what i mean like there was possible it was possible to watch those two shows and be like eh i think new japan will be fine i mean look at all these young guys running around and you know they uh they have they still have naito to hold the fort at the moment and look how over naito was even though his mattress tonight didn't go well so it's possible to have that take on the other hand it was possible to have the take Oh, well, Naito and Sonata's match fell apart at the end. Naito is dying in front of our eyes, so he can't hold the fort down at all. And, you know, the booking is so horrible, and they're bringing in, like, all these shitty Americans, and look how horrible night one of the two shows were, which, you know, I, I don't... So I kind of think both sides could, you know, really have a point there. So, like, you know, those two si- those two shows, like I said, are almost, like, perfectly designed to validate both opinions. Now with as with everything, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Like somewhere between um a complete disaster and this promotion has no hope and everything's definitely going to be fine, don't worry about it. But obviously, I'm interested to hear your take as well, Joel. Like where do you think where do you lie on we're so back and it's so over <laughs> on that graph? I think I'm in like the mixed state at the moment, hovering dangerously close to the it's over brackets real. Um, I don't know, man. Like all I can, we, we go through these periods sometimes where Ghetto just goes into like sicko mode for his booking. And that could be sort of a, a seasonal thing where he's just trying to make things as uh, disagreeable as possible, leading into some good stuff happening. Like, do you remember, was it the around Dontaku a couple of years ago when he just went very, very bullet club heavy and it felt a bit disgusting at that point. But then things kind of got good again. But what what was most irritating for me off the back of those new beginning shows was that it kind of vindicated, if we're taking the Okada stuff as true, it vindicated all of his uh, alleged uh, attitudes, you know, him that refusing to work with uh, these youngsters who, you know, didn't, didn't have the greatest show in the world, the... Uh, you Uemura Yota Siji match. I mean, I liked it well enough, but uh, plenty of criticism coming out of that. And just sort of the general mood, the general vibes coming out of those shows was uh, not great. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just going to hinge on this New Japan Cup. And you know, if it is does continue to be Ghetto doing terrorist booking, I don't know, maybe this is just his strategy of sort of future-proofing the company against Tony Khan signing future talent by just sort of booking it so terribly and making everyone look bad that there won't be any any danger of guys being signed to AEW. But that, that's the thing. Like, it's he's got a great roster. Like, the, there's enough quality talent 
top to bottom of this roster to be booking a much better product than it is at the moment. Yeah, the roster the roster sucks is the weirdest take I've seen a lot of people make lately. I'm just like, the roster is still actually very good. It's just like, yeah, obviously lost Okada and Osprey, and they don't have a ton of like talent who are like right in the middle of the main event right now, I guess. But like, there is no promotion on earth that wouldn't want to have their level of young talent, especially. And you have to look way beyond just the four guys everybody's thinking about, right? I mean, you have like you lay it out there. You have Yo, you have Yota, Yuya, uh, Shota, and Red. Right? Those are the four guys everybody thinks of. But you have to look beyond that to guys that aren't even on the roster yet, or like in Oleg Bolton's case, is uh, you know, just fucking fucking around in Young Lion Land. I mean, you have those four. You have Oleg Bolton, who looks like a. I mean, he speaks fluent Japanese, which is great, and he, you know, he has a star presence to him already. I I, I wish they would, you know, speed things up with him if anything. They have Youngblood, who just went over to Europe, and that team, you know, again, they're, they have a, a big dude uh, and a, you know, a smaller Japanese dude, and they both, you know, I think they, there is something there. I don't know if they're going to be main vendors necessarily, but like mid-carters to upper mid-carters and a strong I mean, team could, in the future. Could they be any worse than the team of Kent and Chase Owens? Exactly. But I mean, I think they, there is going to be a role for them, I think. And they both they both look good. So you have Youngblood waiting. You have I feel like Ryohei Oiwa is like the most forgotten man sometimes where I'm just like, every time I look at this guy and every time I get to, I watch him, whether it's in New Japan or Noah, he looks like a future fucking star to me. Like this guy has, he has like the movie star good looks that you, we know you need to succeed in modern New Japan. He looks like his ring timing is already great. I mean, I, I don't really get why he's not talked up more, honestly as a future star because like i think he's got more star potential than certainly narita and i could make an argument i mean i think at worst he has equal star potential to the other big three and maybe more i mean i don't know if i'm you could tell me you think i'm crazy here i mean that's a hell of a guy to have on your deep bench still yeah i mean i think there's definitely plenty of upside there but i think i'm guilty of uh, kind of prognosticating and projecting onto these guys maybe beyond what their realistic level of ability is because I just see what's happening with just more the development plans for a lot of the guys who've come back, like particularly you, Uemra, who said before, having two singles matches since his return from excursion is nutty. I don't know what's going on there. So um, I think if there is the right progression system in place for when a guy like Oiwa returns, then yeah, I, I can see all the ingredients there for him to be certainly pushing in, in the upper echelons of New Japan, but just <laughs> will there be the, the booking infrastructure in place to to maximise that potential is another question entirely. But if you just take it in terms of just his look and his aura, then yeah, him and Fujita, I would say the, the two guys that I'll be most excited about. Yeah, I mean, Fujita is when I was I, after I finished like talking to Boy I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about go say Fujita, which is kind of funny, but he's already on the roster and he's great already too. So I don't know. I mean, they have. So, a so sorry, really... you forgot about Fujita even after that star-making performance oh, that uh, yeah. everyone so generously uh, carried him <laughs> to in Korakuen Hall. Yeah, the Okada definitely uh, kind of made a star there for sure. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's just like 
that is a ridiculous number of young talent. I mean, that is a lot of. I mean, look, there was somebody. It was that fucking uh, Zach Arnold fight opinions, right? Who tweeted out like a few months ago something like how New Japan's dojo sucks or whatever. I'm just like, there are so many criticisms you could make of modern New Japan, and we're going to make a bunch, I think, throughout this podcast. The booking being a big one, a bunch of other shit, the fact that Bushi won't spend money on them, all this other shit, it doesn't have the money to spend either. But, like, the one thing that to me is still, like, completely inassailable that you cannot criticize is their fucking dojo. They churn out these guys better than almost anybody. The only other Japanese promotion that even comes close is probably Dragon Gate. And even then, it depends on like what you think of those guys because some of them, a few of them, I think are quite overrated actually. But that's a, that's a different topic. The the New Japan Dojo, like it creates guys at a rate. Noah has not had a prospect. Pro wrestling Noah has not had a real prospect since Kaito, right? Am I missing? I don't think I'm missing anybody. I mean, who the fuck has come through the Noah Dojo since Kaito Kiyomiya that anyone gives a shit about? They have, like, I, be- I remember there was an update. They have, like, two or three students right now. The New Japan Dojo, I think, still has six more people in it that we know nothing about and have not yet seen debut. There's two more Young Lions I didn't even mention that have just started their Young Lion careers. Uh, I don't remember their names, honestly. But they're, they're the two that uh, came from that Okada reality show. Um, so, like, you know, or is it three? It's three, right? Well, you Shoma, Kato, and Katsuya Morishima. Yeah. So like, so 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 like, there's so many, like like imagine putting et, like half of these people in any other Japanese promotion, they would be like counting their lucky fortune. For some reason, when New Japan does it, um, it's just like completely written off, and it's really weird to me that you know the suddenly that we're all supposed to pretend that they don't still have a great dojo and don't still have you know tons of young talent. I mean. Part of the reason why, and let, like, let's be honest, part of the reason why AEW has to sign Kazuchika Okada for like millions of dollars and Will Ospreay for millions of dollars and Jay White for millions of dollars and every other fucking New Japan guy they've signed in the last like five years is because they sure as fuck don't do a very good job developing their own talent. And they haven't since day one. So, I mean, that's just something New Japan objectively does better than AEW or almost any other promotion. Um so that that's still going to be an advantage for them, you know, unless the dojo, you know, suddenly runs out of money and shuts down. I mean, that is something they still have and they're still going to have. So the the people saying the roster sucks or, you know, where does the roster go from here? I mean, they they still have the dojo and that's always going to be something that you can't really take away from them. So. Yeah, I mean, that's never been. One of the criticisms, or not serious criticism. Well, I, anyway. uh, yeah, I was gonna say I saw it on Twitter from fucking Zach Arnold, so I guess that's not serious, but I, you know, no fight fight opinion <laughs> is not a serious person. We, <laughs> a source of endless comedy, absolutely, and, and one that I value, but just no, not not one that I want to engage in, um, <laughs> you know, uh, face value discourse with. Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, what you said about how the the booking, you know can let these guys down. I mean, that's to get to the negative. Obviously the booking has been a big problem. And uh, interestingly saw Gato suddenly appear on Twitter this past week, which was uh, a very interesting development that no one seems to quite know what that means. I mean, unless you want to give us some scoops here on the air, Joel, that you've heard all about uh, Gato's Twitter account. Uh, no, I've not heard <laughs> anything. I could just imagine him just 
you know, seeing all this uh, outraged uh, reaction to the events of New Beginning, really, right? I need to go on Twitter.com. I can fix this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting that the timing here after one of the the worst received New Japan shows ever, which was that New Beginning in Sapporo Night One. Like suddenly he's on Twitter making cryptic statements about how, you know, uh, they won't let me do it or whatever. I'm gonna just have to do it. Or what the fuck? I forget what he said, but it was something like that. Um, so, you know, the so booking has been a problem. It, it was interesting, like coming out of that weekend. You know, the 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 negativity was very strong online. I mean, that's very very true in Western spaces, especially. The negativity was extremely strong about New Japan. I didn't really uh, I didn't really think that I saw as nearly as much negativity uh, you know in the Japanese spaces I checked. Again, you know, um, J- Japan's not a monolith obviously, you know, I'm sure some people were negative, but just like trying to scan Japanese Twitter and some of the other places like the uh, like the comments on Japanese YouTube and stuff I look at, I never, I never really saw as much negativity on those two shows as it seemed like you saw on Western spaces. No, um, no, the Japanese fans were on Twitter asking, "What's cocaine?" <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, but yeah, the so the Western online space was very negative. It was interesting. So after night two, which I thought night two was a great show. I mean, it looked like. I think some people were so negative on Sapporo Night 1 that it kind of hurt their perception of Night 2 also, which I don't even really blame them. I don't think they're being like unfair or anything. I just think that Night 1 was so bad that it made it hard for people to come back for Night 2 and enjoy it. Um, it was interesting watching Night 2 with my buddy Quinlan the next day. I, like I watched it live first and liked it. And then I watched it with him the next day. He's not a very online person. You know, he's like, he he listens to The Observer a little bit, but, but he doesn't really go on Twitter or any discords or slacks or anything else. So he's not really clued in the discourse. So he's watching the show for the first time and he's like really, really liking it even more than I did, I feel like. And I want to be like, yeah, people didn't really like this show. And he's like, he looked at me like I had three heads. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I feel like the there is an element of like reinforcing negativity right now with new Japan, which I think, you know, I, I, I do think that's like kind of, it, it seeps into wrestling promotion sometimes where like, you know, people, it becomes like a feedback loop, right. Where people yeah, are very negative. Bias. Yeah. 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 Like people have decided that this is going to suck and decided it sucks and they get, and to be fair, again, they got a very strong input of this sucks with night one. So that's not any kind of confirmation bias, but they've decided it sucks. So they watch night two and they see a show which has two very good matches. I think, I think almost everybody would agree that Taichi versus Shingo and Hiromu versus Doki are really good. They see a match with Yuya and Yota that did not have a lot of crowd heat, which was a problem throughout both Sapro shows, except with a few exceptions, which one of them I thought was really interesting, but the match did not have a lot of crowd heat. Um, and that, you know, can really hurt. Have, it's hard for people to get into matches with a lot of crowd heat. I get it. I thought the work in the match itself was quite good, though. And I thought it peaked really strongly at the end and was a lot better than a lot of people gave that much credit for. So, you know, and then, well, again, watching it with Quinlan, he liked it even more than I did, which I thought was surprising. But, yeah, it's like 
so I get, but I do get why some people were really negative about it. It was very long too, which people on the people on the internet hate long matches to begin with too. A lot of them anyway. Um, so that was interesting. And then the main event, Naito and Sonata, you know, it starts out really, really well. Like I thought that match was on pace to blow away their dome match. And then it completely falls apart at the end, obviously. And this became like, um, you know, uh, well, look at Tetsuya Naito. He's definitely falling apart. You know, he can't handle it as the champion, blah, 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 blah. I don't know why that became the narrative when, it. you know, we've had reports out for a while that they even, I mean, you know, they even had to bring it up on the air, I guess it's gotten so far, uh, about Sonata having this torn, what was it, tricep? You, you could see it, like you could just see. Yeah, looking at photos of footage of Sonata backstage, his bicep, like trying to escape from his arm. It was it was incredibly visible. So, I again, like I can understand all that. Like, yeah, he was injured. Why book it in the first place? Why? They, yeah. Why would they go back to that? Well, that's that's back back to the booking problem. But yeah, I mean, so you can. It's weird to me that to give Naito that much blame, given that like he was wrestling a man with a torn bicep and. I don't know. It felt like they've, like after after Sonata, I guess took a bump on a Destino that he was supposed to counter. They completely fucked up. They completely got lost, and then they tried to like hold him in that neck lock for what felt like for an eternity to get him back on the same page. Like blaming that on Naito seems a little weird to me, but you know, people have their narratives where they've decided that this man is like going to turn to dust in front of their eyes. So you know, it's not like I'm trying to argue he's not you know uh towards the end of his career obviously he is obviously it's not even like 2019 anymore you know but but people have like really gotten out of control with that narrative a little bit to to the point where they're blaming him for stuff that i think was very obviously not his fault if you watch that match um the other interesting part though is as much as it fell apart at the end as many botches as there were at the end the crowd still went fucking crazy I mean, like, completely fucking great. That that part, I feel like, got no mention in any of the fucking reviews of this show or this match is this crowd that didn't give a fuck about most of these two shows. They reacted pretty much for Okada because he was leaving, obviously. These were the last two nights, thank God. And they reacted for the Taichi Shingo match because Taichi's, you know, the hometown boy. And almost nothing else on these two shows and they went fucking crazy for the end of this match, even though they were watching a bunch of botches in front of their face. So, like, I honestly think it's like, like if you watch that and don't understand why they still are running with this guy as world champion, even it with all of his injuries and stuff, it's just to and think it won't work because oh he's hurt, so he's too hurt to do it. So, uh, you know, the fans are going to turn on him or whatever the fuck. I'm like, they just watched this match fall apart in front of their eyes to a degree that almost no New Japan match ever does. And they still went fucking nuts for the end of it. And they cheered like fucking crazy when Naito won. So if your take, if you, like, if you're going to watch that and tell me that, like, they don't, they shouldn't be having, Naito shouldn't be the guy right now and they shouldn't go and, you know, and Naito can't carry the company uh, through this period or whatever the fuck. I'm just like, until the crowd stops going nuts for him everywhere they go, I still, I still think Naito is perfectly fine to carry the company at this point. So, even and that's what and the matches are not all going to fall apart this bad, and you know whatever you think of Naito, and the crowd still went fucking crazy. So like, I don't really know what your argument is besides like, 
you know, I don't like Tetsuya Naito, so, you know, he shouldn't be the champion. But yeah, I don't know. I'm very comfortable blaming Sonata for that one. Moreover, I'm just looking forward to seeing some IWGP world title matches that don't have Sonata in them, because the last one we saw without Sonata was, what, Okada versus Shingo back at New Beginning Osaka last year. I mean, it's crazy to think that we've had, like, basically a full calendar year of Sonata being in all of those IWGP world title matches. Some of them were good. uh, Some of them were not. I'm ready to move on. So hopefully, uh, we can't rule out the possibility of Sonata just winning New Japan Cup and winning the title back. But I'm looking forward to see what Naito can do with some uh, fresher opponents. Because, yeah, I mean, he's obviously not the wrestler that he was in 2017. No one's disputing that. And... Uh, I mean, in terms of the match, he's fallen apart. We've, the one where Will Ospreay just kicked him in the face, nearly sent him unconscious. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, he doesn't really have the track record of, of bollocksing things up that Sonata does. So I'm going to point the finger at Sonata. I'm okay with that. Uh, let's see what Naito can do against some uh, more competent wrestlers, please. Yeah, I mean, it's like in, he just had a match with Okada in August that, like, was getting like Japanese match of the year votes and like a lot, multiple polls. So I don't know. I don't know. The, the entire thing is very weird where I think, you know, people have their narrative, but they don't, they're going to stick to it really hard. But like you said, we'll see what it looks like without Sonata. Did you find it weird, by the way, when Sonata lost that second world title match in Naito, he just kind of like slicked away, like slinked away, like, and did nothing. Like I found that the end of that so interesting because it's like, here's the guy they've, in a, maybe this is like, I don't know if this is booking critique or Sonata critique or both, but here's the guy who, like you said, has been in the world title scene for a full year. He finally loses the world title to Naito at Wrestle Kingdom, and they give him this big over-the-top angle where, like, you know, he saves Naito and saves the roll call after four years uh, so Naito can do it and doesn't get interrupted again. And Naito is like so moved by it. he has to give him the rematch, which that angle is good. I like that angle and it made sense. And it got Sonata cheered in the dome, which, you know, um, he didn't get cheered before that. God knows. So, you know, but they were, they did all that to like protect Sonata in his defeat, even though, um, you know, obviously he was going to lose this match to Naito and, you know, kind of, it felt like lose this like class of philosophies or whatever that they built up to it. And then they come back with the match a month later, which, again, I think made sense, even though I didn't love it, obviously. Um, but it made sense why Naito would give him the title shot for saving the roll call. And then he just loses again, which I really, like, there was a part of me that thought he was going to win, because I'm like, why would you have this guy just lose again? And then not not only does he just lose again, but he just disappears. Like, we see him walk off. He doesn't really do anything. He doesn't say anything this time. He just walks to the back like, get the day. Here I go. I got rolled up by the Nitro package. Oh, well. Because uh, he did beat him with that uh, Tornado DDT small package this time, which I guess you could argue was, like, a way to try to protect him. But, like, he just kind of – he gets beat by that, and he's like, oh, well, you win some, you lose some, and walks away. And then Nitro does that whole post-match thing with Okada that completely overshadows the actual match and – you know, gets all these Tokyo sports headlines and stuff, which that that's, that leads me to another ramp, but I'll, I'll save that for a second. But, like, you know, that's the big story coming out. And Sonata, the man who's been the world champion or in every world title match since last April, is, like, the forgotten man. It's so fucking weird and so 
counterproductive to what they've been trying to do with this guy. That I almost I have no idea where you go with him from here. I really have no clue what he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do. Like he just went from the top of the card to like, all right, see you later, buddy. Like it's just so weird. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? Like the ending to that? I hadn't really noticed it, to be honest. I think a good pivot for him would be a get back in the tag mix. Him and Taichi having a sustained tag title push. You know, there, there or thereabouts. I think that would be an entertaining team. I'd be up for seeing the dynamics between them. Or, I don't know, you could do worse than doing Sonata teaming up with uh, Yuya. But I think I would like a bit of a break from Sonata in the, the top tier of the singles division for a while. And yeah, I'd say stick him back in the tag division for a while, please. Well, there you go. So we'll see what they do. I mean, I just, I think he'll probably get a pretty deep run in the New Japan Cup, but we'll have to wait and see with that, which is funny considering, again, the man has a, <laughs> a severe injury. But anyway, um, that did remind me, though, by the way, of another little rant. The So I mentioned that the Naito, Naito and Okada had their big moment uh, at the end of the show, which people really enjoyed. And it led to a Tokyo Sports article where Okada basically talked to Tokyo Sports because this was a really big moment. Like it went all over Japanese Twitter and, you know, people were like, uh, I saw like a video of a woman crying that she was never going to see Naito and Okada in a ring together again. Like there was a lot of, it was even a bigger deal, honestly, over there than it was here. So Tokyo Sports does an interview with Okada and he's talking about how um, you know, his like the entire article is basically his relationship with Naito. That's the headline. You know, it's like Okada talks about Naito. You know, he's talking about how, you know, he feels okay leaving the company because it's he's leaving it with Naito and he believes in him and all their history. And people apparently believed, based on Google Translate, which if you they if you don't know this by now, I don't know what to tell you, but they believe that. That they Tokyo Sports ran an article about Okada and Naito's relationship, and buried in the eighth paragraph, all the way down, Okada telling Tokyo Sports, "By the way, I'm never returning to New Japan Pro Wrestling for the rest of my career." People thought that 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 that's what he said, and that was in the article because that's what Tokyo Sports translated. Uh, that's what Google Translate automatically translated as, basically, and. Our friends at uh, Post Wrestling uh, decided, or not, sorry, Post Wrestling, <laughs> at Fightful. Uh, go not... bury them as well, John. <laughs> uh, very sorry, Post Wrestling. My God, I'm, God knows they don't need any more heat from us. Our friends at Fightful, Fightful decided, well, I have a quote from uh, Okada in Tokyo Sports that Google Translate says is him saying he's never returning to the company again. Should I use some, even though I don't know any Japanese, should I use my own sense of logic and try to decide if Tokyo Sports would bury this fact? <laughs> in para- Tokyo Sports journalist burying the leads. Absolutely yeah. incompetent things. I okay. found the real so, story here. Fightful, he thinks that Fightful apparently, thought, Jeremy Lambert, I might as well just say who it is, because he always does this. Jeremy Lambert runs these auto-translated articles and puts them on his headline. Jeremy Lambert thought that, to- that Okada went up to, to- the Tokyo Sports guy and said, by the way, I'm not going to ever return to New Japan beside that. And the Tokyo Sports guy was like, great. I'm going to put it in paragraph eight of my article about you and Naito. I'm not going to put it in the headline. That's it. It's not a big deal. I mean, you know, Okada never, swearing to never return to New Japan, not a big deal at all. 
And like they actually ran with that. They put that as an art an article, they put it as a tweet. Immediately, people actually knew Japanese were like, that's not what he said. So he another an Okada was basically saying, like, um, was talking about moving on to AW, and he was saying, I'm leaving a New Japan now as if I plan to never return because I trust Tetsuya Naito to lead, you know, lead the company while I'm you know, without me, without me. So he was putting over Naito. It was a way for him to put over Naito. He's saying, I don't have to look back. I'm not worried about New Japan without me. I can leave as if I never plan to return. It would be like if you, if somebody said in English, I'm leaving the city and I'm going to have a new life. And like somebody, like tra- like an auto translator put it in another language and had it say, this person was literally born in another city. And somebody ran with it like, oh, he's born again. It's like, that's not, it's a fucking turn of phrase. It doesn't literally mean that Okada is never going to return to New Japan. I I think it, I'd be really fucking surprised if he never returns to New Japan. And the other funny part of this is, is that WWE fans ran with this Fightful quote and were like, see, I told you he's going to WWE because why would he say he's never returning to New Japan, who AEW has a relationship with, if he was going to AEW? So I'm like, you you got this wrong twice. Like, you got this so wrong that it became, like, proof to WWE fans that they were getting a guy that they were almost certainly not getting. So basically, way to go, Fightful. Like, a round of applause. Let's all hear for Jeremy Lambert and his complete inability to fucking run anything by a Japanese to English translator, who, by the way, are like the easiest fucking translators on fucking earth to find on Twitter if you spend two seconds. I mean, there's... I he Jeremy, if you're listening to this, which I'm, I'm sure you're not, unless somebody tells you about it later, you fucking idiot. I could give you like 15 of them if you want, and they could they would do this... They would translate this one line for you for like $10 or something, if they even charge you. So anyway... There's my Jeremy Lambert. We do monthly pro wrestlers. Let's get there. (laughs) But did you see that? Wasn't that fucking stupid? Yeah, yeah. Great coverage of the All Japan stuff, guys. (laughs) Looking forward to Okada's debut in NXT any minute now. (laughs) Top work. Oh, all these fucking morons, man. Like I don't, I don't know. How do we get heat? Especially you. You, you're always right. And you get fucking heat on always, Reddit and shit. Always. My record is unimpeachable. People just hate me for my personality, which is fair and probably correct. But well, that's you it. Cannot, that's you it. cannot fault our record. We have very bad personalities, Joe. Everybody hates our personality. <laughs> yeah. She... Is it Joey on the, 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 the Voices Wrestling Slack, who I've barely interacted with, uh, correctly identifying with folks. One thing I know about John is that he hates everyone. I'm like, you know what? That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you or me? Me. Oh, okay. I don't think I hate everybody quite as much as you do, but you definitely do hate everybody. Um, except me for some reason. I guess we kindred souls here. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's what I said on Slack. Like the <laughs> us in the little VOW gang, we're we're like the the lovable rogues. We're we're late stage Suzuki gear. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I wanted to get that one off my chest, the fucking fightful thing, because that was so fucking stupid. Just people, just ask somebody who speaks Japanese, which, by the way, isn't even me. Like, I don't even think, first of all, my Japanese is like, I don't know, probably JLPT N4 or something, or N3, maybe. But I still knew that was wrong immediately, based just on, just based on the grammar, I could tell that that wasn't what auto, that auto translate got it wrong. And I'm not going to bore everybody with the grammar details, but like, there's a certain kind of saying that Google, um, like, that, that kind of phrase... Google always takes extremely literally, even though it's almost never meant to be that literal. So 
you have to, and you have to look out for that stuff in, when you're looking at Japanese auto translators all the fucking time. But so I could tell that, that was wrong, even without like being you know a, a fluent Japanese speaker or anything. But again, you should be able to tell that's wrong just by using simple logic. Why would Tokyo Sports bury this in paragraph eight? Paragraph eight of a fucking fluff piece about Okada and Naito. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, Jeremy Lambert doesn't use his brain. I guess I don't know. He just was like, "Oh, this, this auto translate says it, so I guess it's true." Uh, <laughs> moving on, though, the other thing, obviously, to mention about New Japan before we get to our New Japan Cup pickums and their, the state of them in 2024. I mean, it's impossible not to mention, obviously the dollar to yen, right? I mean, it's gotten so extreme at this point where, you know, every, you're at a point where every uh, dollar is worth 150 yen. I mean, that's, I think, where we're at right now. That was the last time I checked anyway. Let me say, $1 to yen. Did it drop? Oh, yep, it's still at 150, 150.1. So in other words, you know, every yen um, or every dollar, it's worth like 1.5 what that would be worth in yen. Because it's, you know, if it was e- exactly equal, it would be $1 be 100 yen. So that, that would be how it is. So, you know, it basically means two things, right, for New Japan. For the people who are like, why are they running so many American shows? <laughs> like, Because like, I did see people wondering that. And it's like, well, th- getting people to buy tickets in dollars right now is a very nice th- deal for them. I mean, they... Like we just said, every dollar is worth 150 yen. So even with the expense of flying people over and everything, if they have a successful show, uh, like they're going to have a very successful show in Chicago. I mean, it's already at like uh, it's like 5,000 tickets sold, I think, last time I checked. Um, you know, they, they those those kind of shows are, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, 5,095. So that's what they're at, according to Russell Ticks right now. So like, you know, those kind of shows are going to do even bigger business, basically, for New Japan than they used to be because each dollar they're bringing in is going to be worth more yen. Um, so, you know, they're running another show only about a, uh, you know, a month later in Ontario, California, which has gotten off to a pretty decent start, the resurgence show in May. That's like at 1139 right now, I think. And that's, that's first count, though. Maybe it's maybe it's actually higher. Uh yeah, it's at 13.53 as of now. So yeah, that was uh, four days ago. So, you know, that show is, again, that that's almost at half the tickets sold for the uh, resurgence, resurgence show in uh, Long Beach, also in Southern California last year. And remember, the big draw on that show was uh, Mercedes Monet. So without Sasha Banks this time, they're almost at half the tickets sold already with like, you know, still more than two months until the show. So that's pretty good. I mean, they're... They're still drawing pretty decently in America, uh, especially compared to some of their other like 2023 numbers, which is interesting given obviously the as we've been over, the tenor of discussion online with the promotion is very negative in, in English speaking spaces. So, you know, it's one of these things where I'm kind of I think I'm developing a take that like the there's like the the online takes are more negative than the real world takes on this, especially when you look at like, you know, stuff like ticket sales and stuff. But I don't know. That's just kind of a a hot take. I'm still in the middle of developing. I don't know if I'm going to run with it yet. But, but yeah, the, the dollar again, obviously, you know, affects that. It looks like we're going to see even more American shows now, or at least they're going to try to make them bigger too. As you saw at Naito and Mox for Windy City Ride, which, you know, again, has been a success. Um, 
obviously the negative side of that is for wrestlers who are getting paid in yen, you know, it, it doesn't affect the Japanese wrestlers as much because obviously they're living in a country that also takes their yen, so they don't have to worry about the exchange rate really. But it can still be tempting for a guy like Okada, obviously, but he can leave the country and, you know, get fined for three million, you know, whatever millions amount of money he's making in AEW and then gets to, uh, you know, come back and convert that into yen if he wants or, what, or whatever he's going to do. But it's more a thing for the foreign wrestlers where obviously getting paid in yen and then having to go home in the, to the U.S. or the or, or even or even worse, Europe, because I think it's the the euro ratio is even worse. But or I don't know about pounds though. I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, like the exchange rate, you know, really hurts their ability to, to bring in foreign wrestlers and to keep them, and they have to pay them even higher in yen. And oh, by the way, Bushi Road itself is doing horrible. Uh, they can't they can't make a fucking gotcha game and save their lives anymore, I guess. I don't know what's going on over there. But, you know, their financial results have been really bad. So this is kind of the negative side, obviously. Like the big negative side of the, of the business is like, you know, just not being able to or having to offer more and more money to bring these foreign wrestlers in. And obviously you're going to see them lose a lot of foreign wrestlers as we've already seen this year. Um, I do think people might fall into a trap of thinking this is more permanent than it is. I mean, the I, I find it hard. I'm not an economist, obviously. I find it hard to believe the dollar is going to be, uh, or the yen is going to be this week against the dollar for, for the rest of our life, lifetimes. I mean, you know, probably within a few years, you'd think you'd start to see a recovery. Um, you know, it, it typically in the last, like, I feel like it's hovered around one yen or one dollar to like 130 yen for, I can actually look that up. Let's see what it was. Five, yeah, five years ago. Wow, actually in 2019, it was actually much closer. Like one dollar was 106 yen. I could have sworn it was like around 130 at the time. But yeah, so like, you know, only five years ago, a dollar was around like 106, 110 yen. So much closer to parity. And it got as low as like a, a dollar was 103 yen at the end of 2020. It really started spiking in 2023 uh, or in 2022, I should say, up to 130. But I think before that, you know, I've definitely seen other periods where it was like one dollar was 130 yen. Uh, I'm looking at a longer history. Yeah, like in 20s. Yeah, like 20, I don't know. <laughs> like maybe maybe I'm making that up, but. The point is, it's it's not it's usually not quite usually not near this bad, and once you get back to parity, you know, it'll mean it'll probably make it a little easier for them to, to hold on to foreign talent. Hopefully, other aspects of Bushiroad's business will improve, uh, or maybe they'll have to sell the company. Who knows? But I don't really see this being. I don't see the financial side as like a, um, like a terminal threat to New Japan. Maybe I'm being naive there. I just don't like. I think if Bushiro can't keep it going, somebody out there is gonna want New Japan for wrestling. I just cannot see the Tony. <laughs> I don't know about Tony because that would be really hard. You know, I don't know if people really understand how hard it would be for an American to own uh, a Japanese cultural institution like New Japan. Like even all he's got to do get on a plane, fly over to Japan. Oh no, wait. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, like even like Disney, 
doesn't actually own Tokyo Disneyland. Did you know that? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10% off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voices of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint 
recognition, and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints, and in one second, it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months, and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking, a remote control with a 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door I did not know. I've, I've enjoyed this episode of Wrestle on Economics. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I don't know if you do that or not. But, to, but Tokyo does not own Tokyo Disneyland. They it's licensed. Like Tokyo licenses, like Disney licenses it to a uh, to a uh, like a Japanese company. Because like when you look at like all sorts of other stuff like that, like like maybe Tony Khan. I'm not saying couldn't control new japan in the future effectively but i think at minimum he would have to have a japanese partner like a japanese company that owns a big piece of it because usually you just don't see um american companies operating like that in japan especially you don't see them owning like japanese cultural properties so ghetto car seems to fucking keep control of new japan at the moment so as <laughs> <laughs> anyone else has got but but yeah, I don't know. But I, I don't know if you disagree with me, but I I just don't see this as a terminal threat to New Japan. But no, it's not, man. Like I, I mean, there's the, a completely separate side to it as the booking, and it is like you know, I could talk about the the money they're making to blue in the face, but at the end of the day, if the product they're putting out monthly or whatever is not creatively satisfying, then to me that's a far bigger issue than exchange rates or whatever. So you know, maybe I could buy the argument that the sort of hot shotting of titles to guys like Nick Nemeth and Matt Riddle is what to sort of lean in on the the US dollar and you know try and improve their profile over there so they can keep running shows stateside and get more tickets from that. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if that's really going to offset the the books because you know primarily they're a company that makes their money from touring in Japan and they, they seem to be doing. All right. I mean, it's not terrible as far as domestic ticket sales go, is it? Oh, I mean, uh, Sapporo Night 2 did one of their best numbers in quite a while. I mean, that was like 6,000, I think. Um, so, yeah, Sapporo Night 2, uh, 5335. 
So that was one of their best numbers in that building, I believe, since like pre-COVID. And, you know, that was, a, I, I, I don't know if that was quite a sellout, but it was pretty close. Like, let me look this up, actually. Okay, though. I think like a sellout for that building is only like 6,000. So it wasn't a, quite a sellout, but it was close. Yeah, oh, actually, can get, oh, it looks like I can get up to 7,000. So <laughs> so I guess, was it as close to a sell as I thought? Because I see 6,946, the G1 in 2019. But a big improvement on night one, which was only um, only 3,231. And that's what they had been drawing during COVID before that was like in the 3,000 range. So, you know, big improvement on night one. And, you know, I mean, they the ticket sales are up a little bit, I think. I mean, Tokyo Dome, again, you, if, if people are comparing it to the peak in the 2010s, it's not going to work. I mean, they, when they were hotter in 2018 and 2019 and pre-COVID 2020. That's just very clear. But like the Wrestle Kingdom number this year was better than – I never get tired of pointing this out. Like, Naito versus not a Wrestle Kingdom outdrew Kenny versus Okada. Like, that is just a fact. I mean, Wrestle Kingdom 18 did 27,422, and uh, Wrestle Kingdom would have been 11. Yes, it would have been 11. That did 26,192. So this show is a was a higher drawing Wrestle Kingdom than the Okada versus Omega Wrestle Kingdom. So, you know, that's just a fact. Um but yeah, I mean, the, the drawing is like, it could be better. It could be worse. I guess that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the post-Okada and Osprey numbers look like. Um, you know, if there is a corresponding drop. The early returns on Sakura Genesis look pretty solid to me. I mean, I looked at the, all they have so far is the New Japan Fan Club presale, but they sold out the Royal Seats, which is the ringside. They always sell that out. They sold out the um, the four or five man boxes, which are these boxes. They're basically this. I feel like this would take forever to explain, but basically, um, most of the sumo there's going to be less sumo boxes now, and most of the ones that remain will be two person boxes. But they're still selling like these four or five person boxes for the people who want them. Mostly, I think like families with little kids and stuff, and those sold out in the, in the fan club presale completely. And Arena A, which is like the first row, the first like floor seats back from ringside they also there are like very few remaining apparently so that's a pretty good start for just the fan club pre-sale i think um but you know that's uh i think that's we'll have to see what the actual number comes in at and obviously you know depend on who the opponent is and all that but i know i don't i don't think they're like in dire states for drawing in japan um but obviously, that is like you said, that's still their main income source. And we have to see how it holds up with Okada and Osprey gone. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's my worry, sort of, in terms of the future of this company. Obviously, they've got Naito, who is still a big star and can still do good numbers for them. But beyond him, I'm worried about the depth there. And, and you know, with Okada and Osprey going, I just feel that, and I apologize if I'm sort of jumping ahead, but that the, we need a reshuffle at the top of the company like if you were to say you know who's the big four of this company i don't even know anymore and, and i think one of the issues is that i feel a lot of the the money well it's a money making I was, it's like the biggest stars in the company are all sort of clustered together in lij and i feel that new japan is kind of running out if not already run out of big money matches you know sort of first time 
matches that could headline a, a Dominion or, or Tokyo Dome or a G1 final or whatever. So I feel that the biggest money in terms of attractions of singles matches would be like Naito and Shingo and Hiromu and fairly soon Suji wrestling each other, but they're all in the same faction. And to some extent, El Desperado, I, I feel he's a guy who has got a lot of potential, but what they're doing with him at the moment and him being stuck in the junior division, I just feel that if they sort of decoupled some of these guys or either that or got over their own fear of booking intra-faction big matches, that I would feel a bit more relaxed on the, the future of this company because, you know, I don't think they're going to go out of business or anything, but I'm just thinking like, okay, what have they got in the holster to make us excited about a Dominion or Wrestle Kingdom next year, for example? So I just feel that they need a big reshuffle. They need to sort of restock that, you know, the A tier and the B tier and sort of figure out who are their top guys, who are the guys that people want to see and, you know, what are the, the sexy matchups that people are going to be paying money to see? Because beyond Tetsuya Naito, it's a, it's a bit murky. Yeah, the, the, the medium term is interesting with the with the LIJ guys. I, I think Naito versus Shingo, I think we'll probably get that at some point, maybe in the G1. And then Naito versus Hiromu, you know, I think everybody expected it at the uh, at the anniversary show, and now in hindsight, it seems obvious it was too big of a match for the anniversary show. So I'm almost wondering, like, is are they saving this for the Tokyo Dome? Like, is that the play? And it's like, like when like, you look- like with Naito, you can't keep saving stuff because he's not going to, you know, hold up forever. So if they want to have all these big money matches with Naito, they need to put their skates on. Right. I mean, I guess I meant like saving it literally for next year's Wrestle Kingdom. Because like, what else is the big Naito match? If you're like, the the biggest Naito match you can do right now in with only New Japan wrestlers is Naito versus Romo. I think. I don't think there's anything close. Is there? Unless I'm not thinking of something. No, I would agree with you. So that's why it makes me think maybe they're saving that for the Tokyo Dome next year. Um, you know, whether that's the main event or like a semi-main to help draw or what they decide to do. Um, so that's what I think they're doing there. The weird one to me is saving Naito Desperado because obviously that was going to be the match if Despy hadn't lost the junior title to show. But I, it feels like they're saving that too, which again almost makes me wonder if Desperado will be in the G1 this year and like they're saving that for like a G1, you know, main at like Rio Goku or something or even like... I don't know, just a G1 main and earlier in the tournament. But but yeah, I don't know. It's just like those are all spe- – that's obviously speculation. But yeah, they have to get over the new guys and they have to start – I mean, that's where you get into the frustration with the booking where you need these young guys. I mean, the biggest problem in New Japan right now is that Shota, Narita, uh, you know, Suji, and Uemura are not already established main eventers. I mean, they should be – established main eventers right now and you should be talking about the next group up behind them getting like oil and all them started and instead we're farting around with these four still and waiting for them to really get get their chance when there is a whole group behind them that again as we went over much earlier uh will be ready or is if they're not already ready you know to to step in and be in spots too so you know the long term looks good but the short to medium term is where we're all just like, will you fucking get it going already? And I think, you know, I I was somebody that in like discords and stuff, maybe not, I don't even know if I, I might've done audio on this. I don't even remember. But like on discords and Twitter and stuff, I preached, I was like preaching patience in 2023. 
you know, I liked the way they put them all in one block in the G1 and like had them, you know, establish stuff with each other. Now it's like, well, we got to like fucking hit the rubber of the road already. Like this, this is the time to be pushing them. And that actually, uh, you know, that does transition really well into our next thing, which is New Japan Cup Pick'em. Because I think a lot of people are wondering, like, are they going to put one of these young guys over? And if you look at like, you know, Chris Samsa has been updating us on, you know, who people are picking in his contest, which, you know, shout out to Chris and uh, sportofprowrestling.com. You should still be able to enter his New Japan Cup Pick'em contest uh, when you're, by the time you're listening to this, unless you're listening to it really late, I guess. Um, and almost nobody's picking any young guys. Like they're picking Zach, they're picking Finley. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like, on one hand, I kind of understand at this point why a New Japan regular viewer and regular fan would be skeptical that they would push a younger wrestler. But on the other hand, what the fuck are we doing here? Fucking push one of these guys. Uh, I assume we don't disagree. No, I'm totally with you. They, they, they don't have the luxury of being able to take the time with these guys anymore. I feel like we're in a critical period right now. And I really feel that at least one of those guys needs to be in the final, if not, if not winning the whole tournament. And, you know, we'll, we'll come on to doing our picks here, but I just, I don't think that they can afford to be as conservative as they would normally be with the booking of these young guys, because with Okada and Osprey leaving, really this process should have started you know, a year ago, they should have picked which one of those four they want to be the next guy, and they should have won some fucking matches by now. Because I would say two of them, I say Shota and Suji are the two guys looking closest towards where we need them to be, but neither of them have won any notable matches so far. So that's got to change, and I think this is the tournament to do it. And if they don't, if we get like you know, evil versus Sonata final with the New Japan Cup. Then I, I don't, I may just pull the plug of the whole thing, John. I don't know what to do anymore. Do you do you buy the theory, which I, I've always kind of agreed with this theory that like they are so convinced they cannot push Shota Amino too hard because they're so scared of looking like it's nepotism. Um, you know, they they have to make them eat even more shit than usual. I kind of get it. It feels like that's what's going on with him at least it feels like he sort of reached a critical mass of shit eating though because <laughs> well i think he's gonna eat, with... we'll get to it in a second i think he might be eating some more pretty soon yeah yeah <laughs> you're not wrong but he just he looks like such a geek at the moment now having done that bit you big win over red and the big speech i'm the new ace and then he's just immediately kicking the bed against evil in you know i know there was the exposed turnbuckle but there's there's degrees <laughs> of uh, horseshit when it comes to an evil match, and that he, you know, he beat him pretty clean. Clean, yeah, he beat him pretty clean. That was like almost clean for an evil match. I was pretty stunned. Um, but yeah, so you know, we'll see what Shota. I mean, I think they're very afraid of making Shota come off as the nepotism guy, probably as much to the other wrestlers as the fans. Um, so that's why they're slow rolling his push. But like, okay, fine, you want to slow roll Shota. Fucking get get it going with Yoda or Yuya then. Like, come on. Like, we don't have time to fucking stand around forever. Uh, and I guess we'll get into the pick. We'll, we'll, let's, do you want to do the picks now? Do you want to get into this yeah, pick? Let's do it. I feel, like, let's do feel this. like I feel like we've torn apart every other aspect of New Japan as much as we can. So let's do the pick. So this is a New Japan, uh, a wrestling Omakase tradition. 
We used to do this every year back when we were a regular podcast. So bringing it back, the New Japan Cup Pick'em, where we go through every New Japan Cup match and give our picks right down, of course, to who will win. So the first round this year, we have four buys. And Joel, hallelujah, the buys make fucking sense this year. Like I had somebody ask me. I had somebody ask me, like, oh, is it, well, the buys don't make any sense again? Like, what's going on? I'm like, they're all the tournament winners. <laughs> they're all tournament. Zach won the tournament. Evil won the tournament. Sonata won the tournament. Goto won the tournament. That, that, that's the theme. Um, there's no other tournament winner who just didn't get a buy, right? I don't think. There's, I mean, Naito won this thing, but he's not in it. Tanahashi's not in it. No, every, everyone yeah. else has been signed by AW. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so the predictions here, the first round, first of all, we start with Yoshihashi versus Kenta. The winner of this faces Sonata in the second round who got his first round by. Uh, Joel, I'll start with you on this one. Who do you have winning this battle? Who can forget their legendary <laughs> feud from a few years ago or quite a long year, few years ago now at this point where Sonata was like, hey, or Yoshihashi was like, hey, I made it through the dojo and you didn't. And so I was like, okay. And they, they had a feud about it. I have to preface this by saying that there are two schools of thought for New Japan Cup Pickums. There's what I think would be good and cool, what I would like to see, and then what will actually happen. So I've kind of sort of made a vague mental list of like, you know, 10 things I would love to see in the New Japan Cup. And then just like I said, because Geno's in terrorist booking mode, I have to just nuke half of those at random. And pick stuff that I don't want to see, stuff that makes zero sense, just because that's usually the, the lay of the land here. And that's probably what's going to happen. So we're looking at this one. We're thinking, okay, uh, Yoshihashi should beat Kenta, and that could set up some sort of claim to a future tag title shot. But I think considering try, trying to sort of do tag title future booking. With, when you go through your New Japan Cup pickups is foolish because I can guarantee Geno's probably not thinking of the tag division. I don't think anyone in that company is thinking about the tag division apart from Chase Owens at this point. So uh, whilst it would make sense for Yoshihashi to win, uh, do you remember that Kenta versus Sonata match in the Cup last year? Not really. It was awful. It went, was about 30 minutes long. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Right, so... That's, that's what we don't want to see. We do not want to see Sonata versus Kenta in the second round of the New Japan Cup. So uh, based on that logic, it's, it should be Yoshihashi winning this one and uh, setting up some tag title stuff. And we do not want to see Sonata versus Yoshihashi anymore. My pick for this one is going to be Kenta. Um, so I did assume they're going to do tag title booking just because I think they they set them up to like both get wins and like... Uh, both get wins over the tag champs, which means that also, because if you look at the bracket, there's another guy who can get a win over a tag champ, but involves a result that's going to make the internet scream and would also be terrorist booking, which we'll get to. So I think that will happen. But anyway, so I have Yoshiashi winning here. I haven't beaten Kenta. Um, to move on to the match with Sonata, which, yeah, I don't know. This is what I think they'll do. Uh, the next first round match, this one is the one that's getting a lot of debate is Shota Umino against Jack Perry. So the first time you see this, the cards for this tour, you're like, aha, Jack Perry is not in any of the tags on the rest of the tour. So clearly he is losing in the first round to Shota Umino 
and uh, you know somehow, I guess getting his ass kicked by or maybe he's gonna like or get get or kick Umino's ass at the end of the match, and that's how they set up the rematch for Windy City Ride. Everybody assumes they're doing, but what people fail to realize is that there are a lot of tags on the coming shows after this with Gato on Bullet Club War Dogs and with Dick Togo on the House of Torture. So Jack Perry, who is a heel, of course, we, we established already that he the scapegoat is a heel, joins either of those two units. He could just slot in for Gato or slot in for Dick Togo. And it's not like they haven't changed those tags based on something that happened in the storyline before. So I do think people read too much into that or are reading too much into that, assuming he's definitely going to lose here. And I do have well, the scapegoat. Itself, doesn't he? Sorry to interrupt, but him joining House of Torture, then you could do the house that Jack built. <laughs> there you go. I w- I hope he joins the house. I'd be fucking thrilled. That would he's be a great war- with a t-shirt. If he's a war dog, I mean that's kind of boring to me. But if he's in the house, the first foreigner in the house of torture, I'd be fucking into it. So I do think he wins here. I think he's on the rest of this tour. I think he's sliding in for old Dick Togo or Gato, depending on which unit he joins. That's my prediction. Jack Perry gets the scapegoat era is upon us. I think they are very likely to be having a rematch at Windy City Riot, correct? So I think with uh, my Ghetto White Man Pill booking, I would think Ghetto would want to see the White Man win in front of the White Men. So I'm actually picking Shota to win here, but then there'll be some kind of situation that would necessitate a rematch so Shota wins here and then maybe Jack Perry attacks him after the match and I don't know something happens where they will face each other again at Windy City Riot so Shota is my pick uh next we have the the fucking highlight of the first round folks Toriano versus Yujiro Takahashi Joel start with you on this one who is winning this scintillating matchup between these two New Japan veterans (laughs) This is the first match of the tournament, isn't it? On the uh, anniversary show. So, I, I know, believe. What a way to kick it off! I'm going to go for Yudro just so we can set up some uh, set up a Yudro versus Shota match to continue the Shota versus House feud. He's he's gonna, I don't know, get his revenge or something. Yudro is my uh, pick. I have Yano winning this because I have Jack Perry in the next round. Doesn't really make sense to have Jack Perry face Yudro, so. The sole reason I have Toriano winning this match. So, Right, so we've picked complete opposites so far. This is fun. I like this. Yeah. Uh, next match, I believe, I bet this streak will end. David Finley against TJP. Now, I see a lot of people picking Finley to win the tournament. It makes sense because New Japan loves failing up a lot of the time. You know, he just lost the global title. The only thing that gives me pause on Finley is, I guess people didn't see this, but in, after the Sapporo Night 2, he said if he wins the tournament, he wants to challenge uh, Nick Namath to get his global title back, not challenge for the world title. I don't see them doing that. So I think that might have been a clue that he's not winning the tournament unless he's just being a troll and he knows that you know, if he's playing some real fucking 4D chess and he knows that like we know if he says that, we'll think he's not winning and then he's going to win and challenge Naito. Didn't, didn't Nick Namath then say announce he's having a match with Tanahashi? Yes. But that's, that's that's that that match is now off though, so I don't know. Yeah, well, it wasn't at the time that it was announced, and Finley was saying what he was saying. So, uh, yet again, another example of guys in New Japan just saying shit. Yeah, 
But I don't think he would have said that anyway, though, if he was winning the tournament. That's my point. Unless, like I said, if he's playing Master 4D chess, then congratulations. Uh, but I do still have him beating the Aswang here. So, you know, David Finley moves on. Poor Aswang out in the first round in his big uh, – his first match is an open weight, apparently. Uh, yeah, I concur. Uh, these two had a pretty good match last time. I can't remember what show it was, but it was good and I liked it. So, um, yeah, I've got fairly high expectations for this one. Uh, Fidley is my pick. I think he's going to go deep in this tournament. Up next, we have Great Okan against Tongaloa, the rejoicing from the Western uh, New Japan sphere when we revealed this brackets came out and we found out Tongaloa was still here. Uh, everybody was very happy, of course. Uh, Tongaloa. God bless him. I mean, the guy, I always feel bad hating on the guy because he seems like such a nice guy. And he, you know, his Twitter profile, he like, he likes all these like very hashtag resistance like type tweets. Like he's very, uh, you know, I don't know if he's like an I'm with her guy. Like I'm still with her guy, but he's kind of and funny. He makes candles as well. Those candles are lovely. Yeah. I mean, like, just kind of funny to have a hashtag resistance guy in New Japan. And I mean, you know, better than all the right wing chuds we have. And, like, I don't know. It's just, it's very, like, I he, he seems like a nice dude. I feel like he gets too much hate, too, especially for what he actually is. Like, I think I don't really care about, like, I'm like, okay, I'm not showing up with pitchforks and torches for this guy to be a lower mid carter. I really don't care. I think he's, you know, he's not, like, great or anything, but, like, especially as he gets mobility back in his knee, he doesn't offend me watching him or anything. Uh, with all that said, does he win this match? Uh, I don't know. I why don't you why don't you get give yours first for this one, John? Tangaloa beating Great Okan. Well, <laughs> Great Okan is going on a run is like an ongoing meme in the JCast discords, and at this point, like I'm so dialed in on ghetto terrorist booking that I'm very very tempted to pick Tangaloa because did Finley and Tangaloa have a singles match at some point towards the end of last year? I, I may be conflating that with the Chase Owens match, but. Uh, I think just for the, the sake of maybe sort of continuing the residual War Dogs United Empire thing, as much as I want to pick Tangaloa just for the, the the sheer, you know, sicko mode, I'm going to pick Great Okan here. Yeah, I also have Great Okan moving on here. So uh, Great Okan beats Tangaloa, and like you said, continues the residual uh, United Empire versus War Dogs feud against Finley. Okay, so our next match, speaking of terrorist booking, this is the other one. So the winner of this goes on to face Hiroki Goto in the second round. This is our next buy. And uh, the com- this, this completes the uh, the left side of the bracket. Um, I do think Chase Owens beats Ishii. I think Chase Owens beats Ishii, sets up the match with Goto in the next round. So both members of the uh, Chase and Kenta team lose to both members of Bishamon. It seems too perfect, like it was set up that way. And yeah, the internet is going to have themselves a fucking hell of a time when they see Tomohiro Ishii lose in the first round of Chase Owens. But that's what I believe is going to happen. Chase Owens is just horrendous, isn't he? If he just disappeared from New Japan Pro Wrestling, I think my enjoyment of the product would increase about 30%. Just everything about his presence and his booking in this company just repulses me. On, on a deep, it's just deeply upsetting every time I have to watch him wrestle and win matches. Him beating who was it he beat? Was it when he beat Gabe Kidd or when he beat Hikaleo or both? 
caused our Discord server to have a complete breakdown. It was Hickel out because not only did he beat him, he dominated the entire match against the Giant. Yeah, so of course he did. Yeah. Um the, I mean the one saving grace could be uh that Chase Owens has gone off on one on Reddit again talking about his salary, which apparently the office has caught wind of and is a big no-no. So there could be uh, the, the result of that if he's in some hot water that they might have changed booking decisions. But um, yeah, and this is going to be one of my sicko mode picks. And yeah, I'm with you. Chase Owens is going to beat Ishii. Uh, and, and uh, you know, some people have been putting their brackets online. I saw Walker Stewart shared his brackets and I just glanced at them. And then he picked Ishii to beat Chase Owens. And as soon as he posted that, as soon as I read that, I thought he's going to be receiving a DM soon from somebody. Uh, but uh, anyway, I digress. Yeah, I'm picking Chase Owens as well. Uh, the other half of the bracket, the right side of the bracket, Evil gets a bye, so the winner of the next match is to face Evil. We have Hikuleo against Bolton Oleg. Uh, as much as I wish they would do a Bolton run, really kick off his career and uh, you know become the next big star in New Japan, I think he's eating a choke slam, and uh, Hikuleo is moving on to face Evil. Uh, yeah, same. I think uh, Hikolo is a guy that obviously the company see value in. Uh, I'm quite intrigued for the match. Um, you know, not for nothing. Uh, all I've been putting this tournament is something to keep an eye on. But uh, my pick will also be the Handsome Giant. The next match is one of the more interesting first round matches. This is like, do you think, like, these are two guys who I think if you, either one of these guys, I think people would, could pick to win the thing. Or at least have a really deep run. So it's interesting. One of them is going out in the first round. Uh, Shingo Takagi versus Yuya Uemura. What do you have here, Joel? Who do you have winning this first round match? Uh, Yuya is a bald geek now, so I just I cannot see any world where him beating Shingo makes any sense at this point in time. So I think maybe with Yuya we do like a little losing run gimmick because uh, you know that's. God knows that's what helps get over the young talent. But uh, yeah, I'm picking Shingo here. I have Yuya winning this. Uh, so Yuya, did you know that he is from the area? He's from Ahimi. Where the uh, New Japan Cup is going to run out. And did you know that he was in the area doing a lot of publicity recently? Like he was in the area doing like publicity for the New Japan Cup. Now... If he's going to make a deep run in this tournament, why did he lose his hair right before? I don't know. But I kind of think he's going to make a deep run in this tournament. It'd be weird they sent him there to his hometown to do a bunch of PR and be like, yeah, I'm coming back with New Japan for the New Japan Cup uh, semis and finals. And they're just like, and then then they haven't like, uh oh, I'm bored. Uh oh, I suck. <laughs> yeah. So I think he wins. I think he beats Shingo here. And I think it's starting a very deep run. So Yuya Yamura is my pick here. Uh, up next, we have Gabe Kidd and Callum Newman. Uh, not a hard decision here. Gabe Kidd's going to win, but I really can't wait to see this match. Yeah, I think Callum was a, a late replacement. It would have been Henare in this spot. And they were going to obviously pick up where they left off for their... Uh, Amazing Chronicle match that they had. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be a win for Gabe Kid for me as well. But don't, do you agree, though? It could be one of the best matches of the first round, probably, the way Callum's looked. I mean... Yeah, uh, and, you know, these are two guys that probably know each other fairly well. I mean, they're both British. I, I don't know if they've wrestled each other before on the uh, the UK circuits or in Rev Pro. 
but uh, yeah, you imagine that uh, if Gabe Kidd uh, wakes up in time and, and makes it to the arena, then yeah, they'll have a really good match. <laughs> uh, they did wrestle each other on March 12th, 2023. Gabe Kidd beat him in eight minutes and 56 seconds at a show called Rev Pro Live in Sheffield March. There you go. Just to give people the answer to that question. Uh, the next match, Yoda Suji versus Jeff Cobb. Interesting to see Jeff Cobb hanging around here with all the other departures. And he was definitely a rumored name that would be departing, but he's still here. Uh, I just felt like that was interesting. What do you got for this one? You got Suji or Cobb moving on to the second round? Uh, I'm just de delaying there because Melly's rustling some uh, packets close to me because she's going terrorist mode as well. Uh, I'm picking Yota Suji here because he, well, I suppose he's just picked up a big win against Yuya. So it would be weird to then waste that to have him immediately go crashing out of the first round of the cup. So I'd say this would, I don't know, would this be a bit of an upset for the domestic fans? It, it would be arguably Yota's biggest singles win up to this point. I mean, that would be a pretty good scout for him. So, yeah, Yota Suji is my pick. Uh, I agree. I think Yota Suji wins this match. I think it be quite a, like as big a mistake as you could make in this first round if he loses to Jeff Cobb. It's just a guy who feels like he's completely done in this promotion. I mean, it feels weird that he's still there. I mean, again, I'm not saying that to insult Jeff Cobb. I, I, don't, I feel like I've said this before. But it just feels like he's, you know, it just feels like he's just there. It doesn't feel like he can really do much for them at this point. Um, the next match, El Fantasmo versus Mikey Nichols. Uh, not much of anything interesting to say about this match, honestly. I have I have ELP winning. I don't know. I don't really care about this one. What do you think? Uh, I mean, they're <laughs> fucking blowing her nose loudly in the background. Jesus Christ, this is outrageous. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry, listeners. Um. Can you fuck off, please? Okay, sorry. Anyway, whilst uh, I'm tempted to do the uh, tag title booking thing, is is El Fantasma, is he still holding a, a strong tag title at this point? Yes, the very prestigious strong tag team titles. Right, so, I mean, that's possibly one angle to go down, but me saying the sentence, Mikey Nichols is going to be El Fantasma to set up a future strong tag title shot is... Um, an absurd thing to say, even by my standards. So uh, I'm just going to pick it ELP to win. Pass my bar. <laughs> uh, next match is Taichi versus Ren Narita. Uh, I was going to cut to you first, Joel, but do you need a second? No, she's gone for now. Um, right, Taichi <laughs> versus Ren Narita. So obviously, we're booking this with an eye towards the next round where Zack Sabre Jr. is getting a bye. And oh yeah, course, this, is a, this is the last match of the first round. I forgot to say that. Yeah, what we all want is the the long-awaited um, post-Dangerous Tech as Taichi versus Zack singles match, and uh, they're absolutely not going to give it to us. So zero Ren percent Narita. chance. Oh yeah, zero so percent chance. Ren in a, a shenanigans-filled match uh, wins against Taichi because yeah, we're right. not allowed to have nice things. Yeah, Red Narita is definitely winning this. They're fucking with us as as usual with the New Japan uh, Cup. So. What are you going to do? Okay, so that gets us to the second round where we obviously have to tell you what our match is uh, before we do each one because we had some very different results in the first round. So my first second round match, I have Sonata versus Yoshihashi, and I have Sonata moving out of the quarterfinals. 
What do you have, Joel? Uh, I've got Sonata versus Kenta, and that's going to go like about 58 minutes. And um, if anyone is still awake to record the result at the end, the winner will be Sonata. For my next second round match, I have Jack Perry versus Toriano. What a battle! The scapegoat against Toriano. Uh, and Jack Perry does get the win to move on to a Forbidden Door rematch against Sonata. I've got Shota Umino against Yujiro Takahashi. So. Uh, Shota's going to overcome the odds with all the House of Torture interference and shenanigans. And hey, maybe even Jack Perry, the house that Jack built, is going to be uh, a part of that interference. But Shota's going to uh, fight them all off and win the match. So my winner is Shota Umino. Next, I have David Finley against Great Okan. I think we both have that, actually. Um, and I have Finley moving on to the quarterfinals. It seems inevitable there. Uh, yeah, also David Finley because... Um, yeah, Great Ocon is, uh, I don't want to say a complete geek, but he's uh, he, he's well on his way, isn't he? But uh, yeah, Finley to win this one. He's geek-coded, that's for sure. Uh, then we have on the last match on the left side of the bracket for the second round, uh, again, I think we have the same match, Hiroki Goto versus Chase Owens. What a battle, folks. Uh, I do have Goto winning, thank God. Chase Owens is uh, running the fucking New Japan Cup ends of the second round, and Bishavon gets ready to probably lose a tag title match to uh, these two fucks. So. Yeah, I will also indulge myself in a bit of um, tag title setting up booking here and pick Gotto. Although Finley against Gotto, like Gotto going this deep in the tournament is a bit weird. But then again, he is a former New Japan Cup winner. So let, let's put a bit of respect on his name. So yeah, Gotto to win. Um, then we have Evil versus Hiku Leo, or at least I do. And I think we both do, actually. In the on the right side of the bracket, um, this one I could see going e either way. I have the handsome giant winning this one. I have Evil getting knocked out, and it sets up a future Never title match. It's a big win for Hikuleo, and it gets him onto the quarterfinals. You know where he gets to get gets to get at least that far. So yeah, I got Hikuleo winning this. Uh, yeah, so do I. Yeah, same reason. I think that's the sort of result that the uh, home crowd would really pop for. I can imagine the sound of everyone going, oh, when uh, Hikolo <laughs> picks up the win here. So uh, whilst it is tempting to do evil Shingo in the next round uh, and set up Shingo for get back in the Never title mix, that is tempting to be honest. But no, I'm going to go Hikolo. Um, the other, the, the, I've seen a lot of people pick evil to win this tournament too. So I guess that's possible, but just wanted to bring that up. Next, I have. Well, I, Ryo... I think him being never, never champion reduces the likelihood of him winning. Like in a way, him having that title was quite reassuring as far as the cup goes. Yeah. The next match I have is Yuya Uemura versus Gabe Kidd, and I have Uemura winning. I have Uemura going on to the quarterfinals, uh, defeating Gabe Kidd here and moving on. So. Uh, yeah, I've got Shingo versus Gabe. So this is the match that they would have run. Uh, Refro before Gabe Kid got uh, injured. Uh, so, yes, I have Shingo Takagi winning this one. Then I have Yota Suji versus ELP. Uh, Yota Suji continues his run in this tournament and defeats Phantasmo. This one is quite tricky to pick, but yeah, I will also go for Suji. Guys, shit, I'll get off the pot of these guys at some point, so. Uh, then I have Zack Sabre Jr. versus Ren Narita. Um, I don't see Zack winning the tournament like a lot of people do because I just don't see Zack 
first of all, I don't see Naito losing at Sakura Genesis, and I don't see Zach having another failed title shot this soon. So, or winning the New Japan Cup and then failing to win the title again. So I think, but I do think Zach is going to move on at least here. I think he's going to beat Red Narita, uh, knock him out of the tournament, and move on to the quarterfinals. Because he is obviously the, the whole cup, the whole great in tournaments thing. You got to keep it going at least a bit. So, Yes, uh, same logic. I have Zach beating Ren here as well. And I mean, that also sets up some sort of long-term stuff with Zach and Ren. Because obviously Zach being the guy that defeated Ren in the, was it the finals of the, the TV title tournament at um, Wrestle Kingdom uh, a year before last. So that can sort of set Zach up as like Ren's boogeyman uh, as far as a sort of long-term feud go. So yeah, I'm also picking Zach. Quarterfinals, I have Sonata versus Jack Perry. Um, it's tempting to give the scapegoat his win back from Forbidden Door, but ultimately I think they move Sonata on to the semifinals and scare everybody into thinking we might be getting another Naito versus Sonata title match at Sakura Genesis. just seems like Gato Terror's booking, as, you, as you've as uh, you put it. So I have Sonata moving on to the semifinals here. What do you have? I have, uh, I've got Sonata versus Shota Umino, and I am having Shota Umino to win this because I think this is the kind of role that Sonata should be playing. So if not tag title stuff, then helping guys like Shota get onto the next level. And this would be, you know, a nice win for Shota, beating a former world champion and a guy who he had lost to in the G1 A block. So yeah, I've got Shota beating Sonata. Uh, for my second quarterfinal, I have David Finley versus Hiroki Goto. Not a hard call at all to me. David Finley ends Goto's little run here. And I mean, Goto only wins one match. I called a little run. I mean, he got a bye. But anyway, he beats Goto, moves on to the semifinal to face Sonata. Yes, uh, I've also got the same. So Finley uh, beating Goto. So Finley going through to the semifinal. Now, the quarter, the other side of the bracket, okay, Hikuleo versus Yuya is what I have for one of the quarterfinals. I have Yuya winning this. It's a big win for him. He gets his win back. Oh, I know. He was in that G1. It's a big win for him anyway. Beats him. Did, didn't Hikuleo pin him in the fucking new, in the, in the World Tag League, maybe? Is that what I'm thinking of? You, I mean, I think it, <laughs> yes, the famous World Tag League. I, I remember all the results. Yeah. Now. But I, either way, you, Yuya beats him. Yuya beats the handsome giant and moves on to the semifinal. That's what I have here. All right, I've got Hikolo against Shingo, and I'm picking Shingo to go through to the semis. Uh, I have Yoda Suji versus Zack Sabre Jr. This was like the hardest one for me to predict because do I think they're going to do Yoda versus Yuya again already, or do I think they're going to have Zack move on and uh, you know move to the semifinals and keep this Zack Sabre Jr. super uh, tournament wrestler thing going? I am changing my pick from what I put in the, into the bracket uh, on the sport of pro wrestling. I think Yoda Suji wins this, and we go get a Yuya versus Yoda rematch in the semifinals. So, yeah, Yoda Suji beats Zach. It looks like a big upset in the quarterfinal, and we set up a Yoda versus Yuya semifinal. Uh, I think Zach has just got to continue this run of being Mr. New Japan Cup, and he beats Yota in a, a close and competitive match. So I've got Zach going through to the semifinals. Uh, so my first semifinal is Sonata versus David Finley. It's cool that they said, you know, it's cool to set this up as a rematch of last year's New Japan Cup final. And David Finley gets his win back here. He beats Sonata to move on to his second straight 
New Japan Cup final. So that's what I think happens here. I've got a semi-final show to Umino against David Finley. And putting on my clown makeup, uh, Shota Umino is winning and going through to the final. My other semifinal, Yuya versus Yota. Yuya Umura gets his win back over the man who took his hair and moves on to the final of the New Japan Cup. So Yuya Umura goes all the way here to the final against David Finley. That's what I got here. I have Shingo Takagi against Zack Sabre Jr. And oh, this is really difficult to pick because Shota versus Shingo and Shota versus Zach would just be two very intriguing, very serviceable finals. So it's a, a real coin toss here. <sighs> I can't decide. Um, <laughs> I've not really thought this through at all. I've just put this so well that this is a, a, a win win situation. Uh, let's have Zach go through to the final because he is uh mr new japan cup so yeah we'll do that zach saber jr go through to the finals and then my final yuri mura i guess i kind of gave this away earlier i have him beating friendly and friendly losing for the second year in a row so yes yuri mura comes right back from getting shave balled in his hometown wins the new japan cup earns a shot to see a naito at sakura genesis a shot he's not going to win of course but he is going to go to the sakura genesis and challenge Naito for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. He beats David Finley. Poor Finley finishes as the runner-up two years in a row. Everybody feel bad for him. Uh, my final is Shota Umino against Zack Sabre Jr. And sort of similar logic to you. I, Well, I feel, <laughs> again, this is just me being a complete fucking clown, that Shota losing that Never Title match was to free him up to have a, a successful run in the New Japan Cup. Because otherwise, why not just put the fucking never title on him? So Shota is a guy who I think would get enormous uh, benefit from winning this tournament and then can have another really close competitive match with Naito at Sakura Genesis and lose that, but still come away with that being a net positive for him. And uh, I think Shota versus Zach would be a really cool final. It would be a rematch. I think they met in, didn't Shota beat, Zach in the New Japan Cup last year. So is, is he I believe, again? I believe so, yeah. Well, anyway, it'll be a hell of a scout beating the guy who's won uh, many New Japan Cups in the past. So Shota Umino is my New Japan Cup 2024 winner. There you go. All right, folks. So we both have, we are two clowns here. We have Yuya and Shota winning this fucking thing. <laughs> well, it's going to be, it's going to be. <laughs> It's gonna be fucking Chase Owens or something. Like what who the who the fuck you also know the final. I told you earlier. The, we we all know that's match, what's gonna happen. The, no, the match of a generation to see a NATO versus Chase Owens at the Genesis. I don't know. Uh <laughs> so what what did we come down to here, folks, to say of New Japan? Joel, I do you I honestly feel this is a question I probably should have just asked much earlier. Do you feel close to like giving up and stopping stop watching completely? Uh, no, I'm going to keep doing it forever out of pure okay. spite. And, and if the Super J cast manages to outlast New Japan Pro Wrestling as an entity, then I would consider that uh, an all-time W. So spite is a good reason to to do it, I guess. All I was going to say is, for as many things as New Japan Pro Wrestling is at this point, it's sure not fucking boring. I, I wasn't bored just now going through all that. And like, you know, uh, it's never... It's never like a fucking unexciting promotion to follow. At least to me, it's not. And like, you know, what else are we supposed to do in our lives, right? I mean, like, 
I'm supposed to watch like AEW Rampage and uh, all the other fucking show. Ring of, supposed to put on Ring of Honor. Um, Are you? Thursday just night. change the subject. Are you into Osprey versus Takeshita? Sure. I mean, it's not like I'm never. I'm going to watch Revolution, but I'm saying yeah. like, what else am I going to be a hardcore fan of? Right. I mean, AEW. Not, they not do your some... shit football team, Chelsea. Like, not my shit. Not my shit football team, Chelsea. I mean, look. I, I like AEW right now. I mean, they've had a, a good few months after uh, an utter shit uh, second half of 2023 that people, if anything, are, have not did not go nearly hard hard enough on them for. But anyway, um, but they're having a good run right now. But like, I'm never going to feel as strongly about them as I feel about New Japan. I just I don't like the weekly American format as much as I like the Japanese wrestling format. That's really all it comes down to, and like. So I'm gonna what, get get really into all Japan and get ready for to invite WWE in, or like uh, get really into Noah with uh, all their old men and I, I like where there's I like I don't see what else is going on that's so fucking exciting in pro wrestling that drugs would you make could take me, up hardcore drugs. I could. I mean, like, you could just stop watching wrestling. That's a good opinion. But like, I just don't see what else is going on that's like so great that's so much better than New Japan that I would want to like. Uh, drop what I'm doing and go watch it. So, you know, that's always part of it for me. And until this stops being enjoyable, uh, even if I don't agree with all the booking decisions and or even any of the booking decisions, um, I guess I'm going to keep watching it and keep, you know, covering on the Voice of Wrestling website and whatever else we do. They keep giving us stuff to talk about, don't they? They do keep giving you stuff to talk about. That is definitely true. And you know what? Without New Japan, there'd be no Okada. And Okada's about to go to AEW and be a huge flop. So that's interesting. That'll be something to talk about. <laughs> uh, you're, you're got, we went silent. So I, I, take I agree with you, but my wife's having a coffin fit in the background. Oh. So I'm, I'm just nodding away. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to work, right? Am I crazy? That's not going to work. They couldn't get the white guy who just jumped as world champion from New Japan over. They're going to get the Japanese guy who can't speak English over as the, the fucking world? I don't know. Like, he's going to be I doing best. His only saving grace would be the fact that Tony is probably a massive mark for him. Yeah. So yeah. For Jay White. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I just kind of have this feel, but, but like, we all know Okada's actual instincts are like goofy, right? Like, he loves big card goofy shit. And AEW is a place where you get a lot of creative freedom. It's from everything I've read and heard. So. I don't know. I kind of think he's going to go there and be a best friend. I, I don't see him being like a, you know, a generational star for all elite wrestling. I think he's he's going to go hang out. He's going to make his millions, and he's going to hang out with uh, Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. You know, kind of what I think is going to happen. Maybe I'm sure I, maybe... the intention is going to be that they'll try and run back uh, Kenny versus Okada. <laughs> As often as they can, and and I, you'd have to imagine the the world title figuring into that some place. And I would be sort of have a sort of morbid curiosity to see them run back Okada versus Shibata just to see what that looks like. But um, aside from that, that that that's all. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll see have to see how it goes. But uh, Forbidden Door apparently will be in my backyard this year, so we'll see how that goes too. I guess. But anyway, all right, we can wrap this up, Joel. What do you want to, anything you want to plug? I mean, you, you do have a podcast, I hear. Um, 
No, I don't want to plug anything. I'm just mortified by this coughing fit going on behind me. So no, don't don't seek me out. Don't listen to any more of the stuff I've done. It's it's not worth it. It's all bad. There you go. All right, folks. Um, I don't have anything to plug either besides the fact that, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase, Wrestling Wouldn't Bet. When's the next episode? Can we just say one thing? Sorry, John. Can we um, send out a plea to (laughs) Jay Michael to fucking sort his shit out and make himself available to do some audio with us, please? Yeah, Jay Michael. God damn it. What are you doing having a life? (laughs) Selfish. Selfish. Selfish, indeed. Uh, best of luck with your wife's fencing, though. I think that's what he was. His wife, his wife is a fence. Like James Michael's life just fascinates me. His wife is like out there sword fighting. I know he's like some sort of like Victorian dandy, isn't he? Yeah, like his just sword fighting wife. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so yes, wrestling on say Go follow us on Twitter. When's our next episode? Who the fuck knows, right? Maybe I'll come to you from Chicago after Windy City Riot if I feel like it. Although I don't know with who, so I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't do that. Maybe I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. You know, I mean, it's we we always. I, I never know how to end these anymore because I can't be like next week. Blah 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 blah. Well, I'll see you when I see you. How about that, everybody? So uh, follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase, and that'll do it. All right. Until then, bye bye. Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Noah. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.